Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Wow, buddy! You look healthy and happy. Veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. That's why he developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Hmm. Maybe I should try some of your pet food myself. Okay, okay. I'll start with a salad. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think the capability is there now to be able to corral them properly and to limit how much influence they can have in the wider prison population and also their ability to continue committing crimes from inside prison. The danger and the damage that gangland criminals can do from within prison, that was made obvious, I think, by Wayne Dungan. And they were obviously ordering murders from the prison cell on contraband phones. And that would be the concern, obviously, if the Kinnans were to land back in Port Leash. I'm Nicola Tallent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. It is the high security jail where Christy Kinnan Sr. and his two sons are likely to be held if they're ever extradited to Ireland. Portlaoise Prison is the state's only maximum security jail and is protected by a detachment of armed soldiers who patrol the complex for 24 hours a day. The Defence Forces were drafted in to guard the prison after a number of escape attempts by the IRA in the 1970s. But now, as well as housing the country's most dangerous paramilitaries, the prison service may have to cope with the leadership of a well-resourced drugs cartel. I'm Niall Donald and today I'm talking to Eamon Dillon about the security measures in Port Leash Prison and Christy Kinnahan Sr.'s previous stay in the jail. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So, Eamon, the reality is, as we heard last week, the DPP are looking to bring charges against Christy Kinahan Sr. and his two sons, Daniel and Christy Jr. So, the Kinahans in prison, in an Irish prison, is something that we're facing uh, or could face very soon. How are we set up to handle this, I suppose, is the question. Yeah, it was something I looked at last week um, and I kind of discussed it with a couple of people who have first-hand knowledge of, of this sort of thing. Um, and the conclusion was they'd effectively be treated as if they were a paramilitary organization or a dissident group, that they'd be considered dangerous enough to be able to threaten staff members, families, uh, to, to, to have, you know, staff members, you know, tracked down or, you know, possibly bribed or, or threatened or a mixture of both. Uh, and that they would be, you know, at that level of of danger that they that they could even have um, the capability 
say, to mount a rescue. I mean, you're talking about not ordinary criminals, people with access to multi-millions of euro worth of, 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 of assets and cash. Uh, you, you know, and it's not something that hasn't happened before, like no. around the world. Because, I mean, of course, like Ireland, unlike maybe some other countries in Europe, we have had and we do have Portlaoise Prison and the level of security there um, has been, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's very, very high. Um, it's, it's the only uh, prison in the country with the designation high security. All the others that you've heard of, um, the likes of Mountjoy and Wheatfield, the Midlands, they're all they're all considered medium security, and then you have the the open prisons, which are cons- obviously they're called yeah. low security. They like to Shelton Abbey, um, but yeah. So I mean, the, the like the difference in Port Leash is that there's a lot more staff per head of inmate. That there'd be much tighter um, visiting regime to some extent. Now that this is for the ordinary prisoners who are on the D block, obviously the which we'll probably get into a bit, some of the dissidents have slightly better regimes. Uh, but like, I mean, you know, like, and of course, the, the the main thing is that they have the support of the defense forces who are on the roof as we speak. They're there all the time. They're, they're, um, and they are under certain conditions. They, they are given the go-ahead to shoot to kill. Yeah, because I mean, I don't think people really know that, that the, I mean, the defense forces are there 24 hours a day in Port Leash. Um, they're heavily armed. I think it says platoon strength or something. I don't know how many officers or many uh, soldiers that would yeah, be. Yeah, it's probably slightly more than that. Um, but and and there would be. I mean, there was one time I know from speaking to old soldiers, like it used to be kind of a two month rotation, and which they all particularly hated because because it was the high security, they weren't allowed out. They had to stay two months in their barracks on in Port Leash, and again, that was I suppose to stop them being got at by the IRA, or yeah. Uh, but that that has changed to some extent that the, the the rotation isn't as long. Obviously, you know, there's probably strict protocols in 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 you know letting people know who's actually on duty in Port Leash. It's, I'm sure it's relatively, you know, uh, kept quiet that if people are on duty, it, it isn't widely advertised across the the the, the internal airwaves. I'd imagine in the army. No. But yeah, look, but it but it is it, it brings a bit of punch to kind of the the security, and I think that would be for people who are attacking the prison to to break in. Uh, as much as trying to stop people breaking out if there's Probably weapons. Probably even more so the breaking uh, breaking in, of course, because I think they still have anti-aircraft guns uh, to stop uh, heli- helicopters. If, if because, because, you know, we kind of, I don't say we forget about it, but it's out of most people's living memory and um, the incredible pressure that the, the, that the prison system came under in the early 70s uh, as the troubles kicked off. You know, first, obviously, there was a lot of internment up the north, but by kind of the mid-70s, there was a lot of uh, provisional IRA prisoners being housed in Port Leash. And, you know, like, it was part of their their, uh, their creed to try and escape. Yeah, it was their their duty as as soldiers, um, as they saw themselves. Yeah, there was a helicopter landed in the exercise yard in Mount Joy. It was definitely because I, I remember it as a kid. We were driving somewhere with the, our family, and there was a huge tailback in Port Leash, and it was a, a modified truck. You know, had had girders welded onto it, and they tried to ram through the gates of Port Leash. So even today, you see that there's there's pretty much like I suppose they're like uh, again steel girders uh, buried half buried into the ground that are designed to stop any large vehicles trying to to get through the walls. Uh, you know, so I mean, look, it, it is something that was taken very, very seriously. And I mean, yeah, I mean, the state was a kind of at war at that point. Uh, like the, 
you know, things changed over over the, the course of the troubles where maybe the provisional IRA took a maybe a sort of hands-off approach to to some of that that stuff. But I mean there was massive uh you know, attempts to break out, including I think in 1974, there was a number of of prison guards held hostages, held hostage at one stage, and then there was as well. Um, there was a couple of incidents of bombings as well, where where at one stage IRA prisoners uh, let off a bomb to try and get into the exercise yard, and one of the prisoners was even shot dead in in the prison. Yeah, and and of course you had Brian Stack, then a prison officer who was murdered in 1984. Um, and that's often that's been pretty much laid at the feet of the provisional IRA that killing. So I mean, th- there's been, I, I suppose, there was a sense then. Uh, I guess over the years, there's been a bit of a standoff between the, the Republican prisoners and the the government, in a sense that look, we'll recognise you behind bars effectively as political prisoners. You can have your own organisations. You can run your own um, timetable. You can get your own food sent in. Um, like, don't forget, I mean, like at one point, you know, E2, E1, 2 and 3 in Port Leash, which is what about, I think, 40 plus cells in each landing. So you would have had close to 150 prisoners at one point. So each each landing would have had its own commanding officer. There would have been an overall commanding officer who would deal directly with the governor. So, I mean, like normal inmates, if they have an issue, if they want to get out uh, because it's been a family bereavement or a funeral, they make an application to the to the governor and it's decided on that. Whereas, you know, if you're part of a paramilitary organization, you apply to your CO, your commanding officer, who in turn puts it to the to the um, the, the prison governor, who then, you know, usually grants it, like yeah. in that sense. I mean, it was totally, totally, uh, because of course there was hunger strikes as well in Port Leash at some point. I mean, not to the, the extent that they occurred up in the north, but there was IRA prisoners who went on hunger strike. I mean, did we ever officially come to a place where we recognise the IRA prisoners as as political prisoners. I'm not fully sure it was or was it one of these kind of arrangements that was made? Uh, look, I think it was an arrangement and, and the deal was that, you know, no, I mean, it was in the, in the Green Book of Rules for the IRA that you don't bring the war south in terms of, you know, you're not supposed Speak. to shoot uh, uh, guardee soldiers or prison officers and that very much was adhered to. And I think that was... I think that was then reciprocated in that they were given a certain amount of privileges, um, and and there were people serving even until recently enough, you know, fairly you know serious sentences who would get uh, they would get leave for family funerals or for you know for whatever reason, uh, and they would be honoured. Like yeah. you know, they would come back when they were supposed to come back, and you know, and that was enforced by the paramilitary's own structures as well, because obviously if, if one of their people didn't come back and went on the run, he was letting everyone else down, and it would stop other people getting. Getting their, um, I, I suppose, getting their their TR, their temporary release. Yeah, because I mean, they were obviously um, uh, they were allowed to have a sort of run their own classes, weren't they? The par- paramilitary prisons, and we talk about, of course, the Kinnans as a highly organised and and well resourced army. But if you look back at those times, we're talking about the seventies and the eighties. I mean, the provisional IRA were, you know, uh, an absolutely. Uh, quite a disciplined and structured organization. Yeah, I mean, they were an international capable paramilitary organization. I mean, we we, we saw like, you know, their ability to carry out attacks, you know, across Europe in the UK, you know, obviously across Northern Ireland. They were able to kind of use their logistics in, this, in the, the south of Ireland. They were, you know, acquiring whatever they needed in the, the United States. And we know since the ceasefire, there's been links with South American groups 
they acquired their weapons from Libya. You know, I mean, they're they're a highly capable group. I mean, uh, you know, the likes of the Kinahans, you know, more than say Ridwan Taghi, you know, who's been held in a, a similar style of prison in in Holland. Uh, they have the money though to hire people. Uh, I mean, the, the, like the, the high security in, in the Netherlands, they, they did they didn't have the army on it until recently when they realised that there was an escape attempt being planned, um, and the, the the idea was that Colombian mercenaries were going to uh, take a few quid from Rido and Tagi to free him from from uh, EVB Voigt, I think it's called. Yeah, uh, and, and that that was that was foiled, but they called in the army like to to try and prevent that because I mean, you know, if somebody if a heavily heavily armed well-trained group of paramilitaries turn up, there's not a lot civilian people can do straight away. Even, even a unit of, of, um, uh, of armed police aren't going to necessarily be able to do a whole lot if you're talking about three or four. I mean, if you have a, a trained group of 12 or 24, like former soldiers, they can do quite a lot of damage. In the 90s, obviously, then, there was the, the IRA ceasefires, um, there was the negotiations, and ultimately there was prisoners released under the terms of the Belfast uh, Agreement. But in that time, Port Leach remained a very high-security prison. But as the two, we sort of went into the 2000s, um, we started to see a lot more gangland prisoners brought in there. And those gangland prisoners were... Um, probably taking up the mantle of being some of the most dangerous people in the system. Obviously, John Gilligan obviously went there ultimately in the 2000s, and he was a, regarded as a very high security risk. Yeah, he was extradited back under, you know, armed police from from the UK, flown in on a, an, an Air Corps uh, aircraft back into Baldonnell in 2000. And he got his 20 years or 22 years reduced to 20. And he, he spent it all in Portlaoise prison, where the you know, where the, the men with guns were on top. And it, again, very much enjoyed the, the I suppose, the concessions that were had been won by the political prisoners. I mean, there would any, anyone considered dangerous, very dangerous in terms of gangland were being held there. Uh, Dutchy Holland, effectively, at one point, was acting as the officer in command of E4. They were at the, the bottom rung while above them, which were at this stage, it was dissidents, continuity IRA, um, uh, you know, the real IRA, some INLA people were, were still in prison there and they were on the, the blocks above them. Again, they were actually all quite separate and, and in some at some points were even at each other's throats. But again, it, it was all seen as a way of trying to keep the peace. I, I remember being told a story about Dutchy Holland would, would try to get to the who were, the prison officer who was bringing the newspapers onto the onto the landing on a Sunday, and he used to try and quickly flick through the Sunday World and kind of <laughs> let out a sigh of relief if nobody on E4 was getting a mention in case it upset somebody. Nice. But you know they had their own kitchen; they were they were able to send out for you know steaks to local butchers. Stuff would be delivered. Uh, you know there was the famous story about the budgies that were brought in. They had their own TVs. Tell us about the budgies, of course, because. Well, the various people had budgies, apparently, and there were, you know, when someone would get out, the budgies would get passed on. And this all came out after, um, if you remember John Daly, uh, the um, fingless criminal, uh, again, quite dangerous. He ended up calling uh, the Joe Duffy lifeline uh, from his prison cell, which caused quite a bit of a, a stir. I think it was at... Um, when the Bradleys was on, on yeah, I on, mean, it was, it was, it was again. The Sunday World had a had a role. There were people uh, giving out about a Sunday World <laughs> article, and ultimately to back up um, uh, Alan Fatpus Bradley, John Daly rang from his prison cell saying he was fighting with Alan uh, Bradley, and of course his his uh, his his words about the feud were, you know, quickly forgotten because it just. 
became obvious to people, which everybody had known, I suppose, that this guy who was, who was an armed robber and it was an associate of Marlowe Highland um, had a phone in his, his high security cell and was ringing up Joe Duffy in a sort of excited and squeaky voice and felt free to do so. And it did spark a, a kind of a, maybe that was the first big wave of folk yeah. in prisons. And, and there was, there was well, I suppose it's 2007, so it's yeah. the beginning of smartphones. So, I mean, there was now all of a sudden a slightly greater urgency that, uh, you know, a phone, there was, there was even more things you could do with a phone than previously. So, uh, anyway, things moved on and there was a series of raids. I think on the, the very first day, there was something like 19 phones found on E4 straight away along... You know, and the story came out then there was budgies now, but they were entitled to have those budgies. They weren't smuggled budgies, like, yeah. to be clear. And there were uh, big, uh, you know, flat screen televisions. Um, but I think the, there was a new governor came in or certainly there was a new regime installed, obviously on orders from government and their own kitchen was stripped out and anything that wasn't standard was taken out. So they were only allowed then after that, then your, your standard TV. But at the time it was seen as a way, you know, any prisoner who could afford it and had earned the right, you know, or was deemed to be well-behaved enough could, you know, have their own Xbox or whatever it was or their own yeah. TV. I mean, you can rent TVs in prison and stuff like that if you want a slightly bigger one and you're entitled to it. Well, you certainly could back then. Yeah. Um, but I think this kind of, I guess, whatever about you know, giving some kind of recognition to paramilitaries who might have had some kind of misguided, I suppose, political aspiration, you could make the claim that they weren't actually criminals. Uh, whereas, you know, the likes of John Gilligan and Daly, you know, they're murderous gangsters. I mean, you know, Dutchy Holland, you know, a murderous gangster. You know, I mean, these guys who were there, I mean, young Trevor Byrne was on that wing, yeah. you know, around that time. Uh, Brian Mayne was downstairs in the base and like not too long after that, you know, broke his his Trappist monk-like uh, years of isolation and came back up and pretty much took over control until he was later shipped out anyway to, to Shelton Abbey. But yeah, look, it kind of, it really laid bare. Um, I think even at that time, there was a brand new visitor centre, which the the Republican prisoners were refusing to use. Yeah. So many money had been spent on on tightening security and, were, and you know, I mean, they were still strip searched. Because yeah. I mean, that, that was part and parcel, but their visitors didn't necessarily have to um, go through the same scrutiny that ordinary people did. So there was all this, you know, our, you know, orderly prisoners using coffee pots to smuggle in stuff or how stuff was getting in. You, you know, it's I mean, of various course, ways. In this time, the dissidents have, and I, I don't know if it's the same, uh, exact same stuff that the provisional IRA have had, but they still have a degree of autonomy and um, certainly some special privileges. I mean, I know from talking to somebody there not so long ago, they had a particular gripe with with the murals that the the, the dissident prisoners are still allowed have, um, uh, or at least on, up until that point in, a couple of years ago, he was you know very upset about that. Said they they have these murals. I think in in Port Leash, and he felt that they shouldn't be getting any special treatment. But they they're sti- they're. I mean, there's only a handful of them probably left in Port Leash at this stage. Yeah, I, like. Uh, we got some good detail actually just earlier this year um, about you know what's going on there. Uh, partly because um, E1 was being refurbished, and so it, it turns out that Eamon O'Keefe, uh, the TD, who apparently has made a you know has for years been going in to visit um, Republican prisoners, and obviously because of who he is, the grandson of Eamon de Valera, he's accepted by these um, 
you know, the, the Republican prisoners as an honest broker. Uh, so while, while the um, refurbishments were going on, the dissidents had to be moved around. And I think there was a little bit of negotiation to ensure that they kept their, their uh, I suppose, privileges that they had. Um, and he, he was involved in that. But look, you're, you're talking now, I mean, even, even whatever, five or six years ago, there would have been maybe 35 or 40 dissident prisoners. And you're literally down to almost a handful or just over a handful now. And they're mostly the guys who are serving time for the Peter Butley murder. Which is really um, the remnants of the kind of Alan Ryan uh, real IRA faction that were mostly Dublin based. Yeah, and it's like I mean, and the two guy leading kind of I suppose members would be Edward McGrath and Kevin Brainy. I mean, they're both doing life for for the Butley murder. Sharif Kelly is in there as well. Um, you have another Stephen Hendrick doing eleven years for guns, explosives, and he's he's although he's due out fairly shortly. Um, and you have a couple of others. Um, you know, people that were, say, in, involved in the Butley murder who acquired phones and stuff like that. And I think some of them could even be out now. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so you're you're you're, you're talking six or seven uh, dissidents. So I, if we go back to the original point about the Kinnahans, I think the capability is there now to be able to, uh, I suppose, corral them properly and to limit how much influence they can have in the wider prison population and also their ability to threaten or, or to, you know, to continue you know, uh, committing crimes from inside prison. Which, of course, is the big risk. And that's partly the phones. And obviously, it annoys people because they don't want to see prisoners updating their Facebook page or whatever from, from a jail cell. But really, um, the danger and the, the damage that, that gangland criminals can do from within prison, I mean, that was made obvious, I think, by by Wayne Dundon and, and some of that gang because they were obviously ordering murders from their prison cell on contraband phones. And that would be the the concern, obviously, which, with if the Kinnans were to, to land back in Port Leash. Yeah, uh, and look, I mean, that's that's the main reason uh, why pr- any prisoner isn't really entitled to have phones. I mean, they, they have their nominated numbers now that they can ring through the official phone and they get their, you know, whatever, one or two phone calls a week or, and, you know, and they have to you know, shown advance register a couple of numbers. And part of that was then was to stop vulnerable prisoners selling their phone calls to other inmates so they, they can make further calls. But look, I mean, threatening witnesses is obviously the key one, you know, threatening revenge on people, ordering more crimes, all of that, I mean, you know, is, is the key reason why they, to some extent, they have to be held in communicado. But at the same time, then, the, you know, there's an argument that, well, you know, there needs to be rehabilitation. They have to be able to maintain relationships, you know, possibly, you know, have access to some kind of... Uh, you know, education systems, they might need to be calling people to set up, you know, for, you know, a life on the outside when there is at some point they're going to get out. Uh, but like, you know, again, it has to be balanced with the rights of other people not to not to live in fear. I mean, the last thing you want to do is to be, you know, getting a phone call at night from somebody who, you know, is doing time for a crime they committed against you. And you can imagine what some of the, you know, really yeah, I mean, like nasty yeah. crowd sex offenders would do if, you know, if, if they got the chance. Yeah, I mean, the, the rehabilitation thing, um, from talking to ex-prisoners, and people, some people who've done very lengthy sentences, I mean, you can really understand from their perspective that they would want a lot of them have kids and that, you know, they want to keep that relationship going and that that's good for the children and for the prisoner and then ultimately for society because people come out with a, you know, most of the people I've ever talked to have come out, have gone, have spoken about their kids and trying to make up for them and all that. So you do want that, that they have access to the outside. Of course, Christy Kinnan and, and, and the sons, um, you know, you would have to be wary because of course, if, if in your 
and I hope you're finally getting the credit for the the first ever Daniel Kinahan articles, are you? Well, well, only here. <laughs> not, <laughs> well, in the, not in the wider world. Not but, in the wider but, world. No, but, 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 but Christy yeah. Kinahan was, of course, yeah. previously. Yeah. And uh, uh, operating from a prison. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. Like he's 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 not uh, he's not new to Portlaoise prison. Like if he if he is brought back and sent there, it won't be the first time he's been there. Um, and that was something that came out in in a, a Dutch trial. UPL to post was being done for uh, drugs in in Holland, and evidence came out in that court hearing how he was in he was in phone co- phone contact with daniel who was getting his orders from his dad in portlaoise prison and there was uh, there was there was tapes of yeah. christy kinahan you know speaking to upl post and to daniel and th- this is all was used in court in in holland at the time so it was like hard evidence that here we go here's a guy who was doing his time yeah. doing his environmental science degree finishing off you know having already done time in, in Holland himself, which is where he met UPL to post. So it just shows you like the importance of, you know, the the need to curb, um, you know, gangland criminals, like, you know, serious ones like, like Kinnan. Um, and, and the idea then you'd have, you know, possibly all three of them there. Um, and then in that prison already, then you, you have some people who have pretty much remained loyal, like Patrick Keating and Liam Brannigan. And then I suppose lower down, you'd have, you know, a gunman like Nicky McConnell is there at the minute. How much... You know whether or not they'll all end on the same landing or not remains to be seen. But I guess the the Kinnans would get to choose who who's going to who's going to share the cells on the same landing. You certainly don't want to go in there unless you've been invited. I mean, obviously, the other complicated thing that that the prisons have done is they've sometimes kept prisoners isolated from other prisoners. Um, we've seen people like Fat Freddie Thompson, um, you know, bring bring cases to court saying that he's being kept isolated and the, the prison service will be giving a defence to say that they can't have him mixing with other people because he causes trouble and they're concerned. Um, you know, obviously the, the Kinnahans would have, still have rights. I mean, there is a general right for people to get an education, for example, in prison, isn't there? Yeah, there, there's all that. I mean, they can access, they can access services, um, <clears throat> you know, whether it's counselling or education or they can go work in the workshops or you know go to art classes music classes i mean there all of that exists and they have um, they have a right to access it and yeah and and they, you know and and you you've had some really violent prisoners in the past where uh i, I know we wrote stories about Warren Dumbrell um um you know he was a big guy but like you know there was people who were willing to get into a boxing ring and spar with him which yeah. i'm sure was a great outlet and probably save some other inmates or even staff getting attacked. So you can kind of say, well, geez, these guys shouldn't be there, you know, having time of their life, you know, whatever, like, you know, uh, you know, using the gym. But like at the same time, it probably makes for a smoother running prison. And the whole point is that they're in there and not out here causing trouble. And so, and that's the whole point then, I suppose, with the phones and and with keeping, I suppose, curbs on the, on the Kinahans is to stop them being able to run whatever is left that they can still access of their empire. Because I imagine like, you know, Kinahan Sr. at this point as a, a money launderer and pretty much a, a deal broker could still operate from prison and, and still and still could, you know, call in favours, bring in influence. I mean, we're going to see some novel defences. I mean, he he's probably going to arrive here and try to claim that he's actually, you know, a citizen of whatever country yeah, and look for a transfer there and to get out of the Irish system. I mean, there's going to be all of this yeah. remains to be seen. I mean, like at a certain level we saw with... Uh, 
uh, Jerry Hutch, like, I think the plan there was that he was a Spanish resident and he was going to apply to serve his time in a Spanish prison if he'd been sentenced to. But obviously he was he was found not guilty by the Special Criminal Court, which, you know, the Special Criminal Court is where the Canons obviously will be. And again, that was all down to the, the paramilitaries and the need to protect juries from yeah. people with this, you know, wide ranging capability to commit more crimes. But, and of course, he's not even been charged and the UAE haven't even accepted any extradition. So there's a lot more complications to go there. Once people get into prison, they tend to want a job in prison, don't they? Well, I, th- I imagine it's something to do. It breaks up the day. Um, you know, I, I mean, you hear all this like, oh, the best job is to get into the in, into the kitchen. Obviously, you can have a little bit of extra coffee or toast or whatever it is. I'm sure there's a few perks to working in the kitchen. I mean, you know, we've we've written stories about, you know, Joe Riley and he's tending his little vegetable patch and all the rest of it and proletizing to other prisoners and trying to be, uh, allow the Jehovah Witness minister to come into him the way other religions are allowed their own ministers to come in and, and talk to them. Uh you know, there's bands. I think we did a story one time. We had a little poster of uh, of a little in in uh, prison boy zone. One of the Bradley brothers was involved in that, if I remember. Colopies, I think, as well. well. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, and of of course, but you get you get paid, don't they? A very uh, nominal amount for for work if they if they do it. I mean, I can't remember. If, no, yeah, it's like a euro or a euro fifty or something or, or less. And it's very much it's uh, it goes into the tuck shop account. Like there isn't a little cash slip or whatever oh. so they can buy their Mars bars or their lemon yeah, sherbets they, or whatever it is they like so it would be it would be uh, some come down to see one of the Guinness applying for one of these jobs but it may may yet happen um, but it's it's still a good bit to go I would think before yeah and you wonder like you know how much cooperation I mean we, we've heard all this you know from Drew Harris last week you know that there's a lot of cooperation going on between various law enforcement agencies um, and you know that I think it was more or less yeah that like the Americans are going to get the Kinnahans and so it was a bit of a surprise to see that all of a sudden the DPP <clears throat> have now got the guard of file so that you know we have something to prosecute if we do get a chance and I think that could be coming from a place where there might be some uh, I suppose regimes that don't want to be seen handing over people to the Americans but they might hand them over to the Irish or you know to their own uh, people uh, so maybe that's a way around that yeah. Um, who's to say then, you know, if they if they get sentenced for something here and it's a relative sh- short sentence that, they, you know, it's easier to extradite them to the US from Ireland than it will be from Iran or Dubai or wherever they are or, you yeah. know, Bahrain. That's, that's, of course, to say that, uh, presuming that there's enough evidence on each individual member of the Kinnons because it's not necessarily uh, all the same. But um, it's, look, it's something we're no doubt going to come back to, Eamon, um, and we'll be keeping an eye on it. We'll, we'll, we'll do our best. <laughs> Thanks, Evan. Thanks. Always a pleasure, Niall. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on.
Do not consume the Sunday world if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday world responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.